Jeff Akuda goes down in practice. How big a blow is this to the Falcons secondary? And who will be the next man up? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, welcome back to this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. I am, of course, your very humble host, Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Sirius Black, a.k.a. Mr. Drew. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons is brought to you by eBay Motors. The championship team is all about each player being a perfect fit. Same is true with your vehicle. So for the parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen on the weekend, right? So follow in the footsteps of the everydayer by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So later in today's episode, we'll be joined by John Macri of Pro Football Focus to break down some of the Falcons players' various fantasy outlooks, something that has been a topic of discussion here on the podcast the last several weeks, especially with B. John Robinson. And we'll get an expert opinion and not just me, you know, blowing smoke up your butt about that. But uh, unfortunately, we'll start off today's episode talking about the injury that occurred to Falcons cornerback Jeff Akuda in a practice on Friday. He was carted off with a right ankle injury. We'll get the exact details of that injury and extent of that injury after an MRI. And hopefully by the time I'm coming back to you guys on Sunday evening here on YouTube or Monday uh, on your preferred audio platform, uh, we'll have an update on sort of how severe that injury is hopefully it's a high ankle sprain but we'll we'll just sort of have to see and as we discussed earlier this week when it comes to injured reserve in the potential of the Falcons making a roster move involving Jeff Akuda, we discussed earlier this week that if you put a player on injured reserve prior to final cuts that player is done for the year right if you wait until after final cuts which is August 29th this year then that player is eligible to return from the injured reserve uh, after a minimum of four weeks on that injured reserve. So regardless of how long Jeff Okuda is out, this is a potentially devastating blow for the Falcons secondary. While, you know, we looked at Jeff Okuda with a lot of upside as one of those low risk, high reward types of reclamation projects. We didn't see him here on this podcast, at least as someone who was likely going to live up to being that sort of elite cornerback that married him being the number three overall selection three years ago, but his film in Detroit, at least last year when he was fully healthy, did suggest that the potential for him to be one of the better number two corners in the NFL was a real possibility. But unfortunately, it seems like injuries can continue to set, you know, be setbacks for Jeff Okuda. His first two years in Detroit were mired by injuries, barely played during that time. And then, of course, now you have this injury. And again, we'll sort of see how long he's out. Hopefully we'll have some good news about that in the next day or two. But of course, with his out of the lineup, you know, it's going to raise questions on who's going to be the next man up. Trey Flowers was the next man up in practice today. Uh, he seems like the top option for the Falcons, uh, has some experience starting in the league at cornerback two years in Seattle uh, before sort of transitioning to more of a tight end eraser, uh, dime 
defender in Cincinnati the last couple of years. Mike Hughes also would be an option that has starting experience as an outside corner, started for the Chiefs in 2021, also started some games for the Vikings prior to that. He's been working primarily as the nickel behind D. Alford, the starter there, uh, but he seems like a player that historically has always been a better outside corner than an inside corner, so that may benefit him. Of course, you still have Darren Hall and Art Cornell Armstrong, who are also depth options on the outside, although we've been down that road before. So hopefully, you know, either those guys are massively better or we don't go down that road again, you know, because of that, you know, flowers and hues to me were guys that I felt good about our depth with, you know, if better than, you know, they were going to be better than Hall and Armstrong were last year, if they had to start like a handful of games in the event of an injury, but now the potential of them having to start an entire season you know, neither one of those options really fills me with optimism. I know probably some of you are wondering, like, what about Clark Phillips? Is is he, is he an option? And I guess technically, yeah, he, he is an option. I don't know if he's going to be a much better option than either Hughes or Flowers would be. But, you know, then again, I'm terrible at cornerback evaluation. So I think you're kind of hinging on, regardless of who fills in for Jeff Okuda and how long that is, that Jesse Bates and the rest of the defense is going to sort of do some of the heavy lifting to kind of fill that void. Right. And that was, you know, something that we didn't get a couple of years ago when we had Fabian Moreau starting opposite AJ Terrell. And I, I think kind of the best case scenario for a lot of these options is to basically put together a Fabian Moreau type of season like Moreau had in 2021. And I know Moreau is a polarizing player. He, we here on Lockdown Falcons are, are pro Fabian Moreau considering that, you know, he was playing opposite the best cornerback in the league. And so he got a lot of targets. And so it was basically him trying to tread water without a pass rush, without really any safety help on that team then. And you're hoping that now that you've changed those things, that if you can get a similar level of play, that's going to look a lot better with a stronger supporting cast. And that's kind of the hope, regardless of whether it's Hughes, Flowers, Phillips, or somebody else. So it, it sucks because we've kind of been here before, and this has kind of been the consistent thing, assuming Akuda's out for an extended period of time, uh, because A.J. Terrell, the last three years, has basically spent the bulk of that time playing opposite average to below average corners. Like Moreau had a couple of good games where he was an above average guy, but mostly was an average guy. Darquez Denard had a couple of good games in that 2020 season, but that was limited by injuries. Same thing with Casey Hayward, who maybe had like a, a good month in October before he got hurt last year. And so like, it's just, we've been down this road before and it, it isn't a, a great road. It, you know, there's potholes in this role or in this road to, to continue the metaphor. So again, hopefully the supporting cast surrounding you know, AJ opposite AJ Terrell is going to make it be a less bumpy road moving forward. If you're wondering about free agent options, the Falcons could sign Ronald Darby's probably the top option. He had just had a workout with the Vikings this week. William Jackson might be an option. He was a player I considered back in February when I was breaking down my free agent wish list. He spent most of last year hurt. So that's the question surrounding him. Is he healthy at this point? If he is, he does have uh, familiarity with his coaching staff. Uh, I, I've seen some people say Byron Jones, but I think Byron Jones is retired because he basically tweeted out six months ago that like he can't run or jump anymore. So I don't think he's playing football anymore. So hopefully we get some good news on the Akuta front that it's again, a high ankle sprain. He's going to miss six weeks and, and hopefully we'll be back at October at the latest or whatever, but that's hopefully the good news, but we'll just sort of have to see. Uh, we don't want to leave you with just bad news here to start the show. There was some good news. Matt Ryan was in attendance at practice today on Friday. His children were also there, AKA the ice cubes, or at least one of the ice cubes I saw in the picture. So that's a, 
I guess that's a good thing. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's a sign, you know, some good mojo that Matt Ryan and Ice Cubes uh, bring in, in terms of Jeff Okuda. So we'll just sort of have to see, but we'll continue today's episode talking with John Macri of Pro Football Focus about various Falcon players, fantasy lookout outlooks, including uh, whether B. John Robinson can be sort of the Derrick Henry of this offense. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but, you know, I think I tend to be really good at drafting players in my fantasy drafts, but the week-to-week management of my fantasy teams is usually where things go uh, astray for me, and that's why I love best ball, because best ball, you just draft your players, you set it, you forget it, and underdog fantasy is the easiest play place to play best ball because of their best ball mania tournament it's the largest fantasy football contest of all time it's back it's bigger than ever with 15 million dollars in total prizes up for grabs including an absurd three million dollars going to the winner and last year's winner drafted their team in july so you definitely want to get in on that action as soon as possible so that you can get your best lineup in the fray and into that contest and i know look three million dollars to basically just one day drafting and then boom, you know, you, you win thousands of prizes or, or millions of dollars or whatever. That seems like a great deal. So if you want to take advantage of this deal, go and visit underdogfantasy.com or you can find them in the app store or sign up with the promo code locked on to get your first deposit doubled up to a hundred dollars. That means if you put in a hundred dollars, they'll give you a hundred dollars. You put in $50, they'll give you $50. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. All right, everyone, we are back with another illustrious guest. He is John Macri, who covers fantasy football for Pro Football Focus. And today we're going to be talking all about your favorite Falcons and maybe some players that aren't your favorite Falcons and how they apply to fantasy this year. I know, John, you've been working hard over the last couple of weeks, putting out some of the tier rankings and and where various players are. And of course, we got to talk about B. John Robinson, right? He was RB3 in, in the recent rankings you put out in the tier one as alongside guys like Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler. They're labeled as sort of that workhorse running back with a high-end receiving upside. But I noted in the blurb when you wrote uh, about B. John Robinson is you wrote something uh, It says, while Arthur Smith didn't deploy one running back in a workhorse role on a weekly basis last season, he has a history of doing so when the talent calls for it as he deployed Derrick Henry in that role during his time as an offensive coordinator with the Titans, which bodes very well for Robinson. So I'm curious, how confident are we that B. John Robinson is going to get that type of usage this year? Yeah, I'm I'm very confident. I mean, I, I obviously love the talent and, and maybe more, uh, even more. I love the landing spot, right? I, you know, I, I think he does have that potential to finish as an RB3, as the RB3 this year, and, and potentially even the RB1, depending on how things go throughout the season, staying healthy, getting those receiving uh, looks as well. But, you know, even before the NFL draft, Atlanta was my preferred fantasy destination for Bijan. And, and not everyone agreed with that at the time, but I think as more people become aware of the reasoning behind it, not the least of which was the Falcons being the most run-heavy offense in the NFL last season, we started to see more people kind of get on board with this as like a premier fantasy destination for Bijan Robinson. And, you know, there, there's there's always the the crowd that says, you know, he hasn't even played an NFL snap yet and, and things like that. But for the running back position, what we found, it doesn't really seem to matter all that much. The, the running back position going from college to the NFL tends to be one of the more pro-ready 
positions in football there's there's less of a learning curve and the position itself a little bit more dependent on on the situation around them so it it doesn't have as much of an effect if they have they don't have that nfl experience and, and we've seen guys who were highly drafted running backs before finish as elite fantasy running backs as rookies guys like ezekiel elliott christian mccaffrey saquon barkley for example so I love this situation. Um, again, just being a run-heavy team, I think, matters a lot. But I, I, I'm sure you're well aware of that. But even even the offensive line in Atlanta being the highest-graded run-blocking offensive line for PFF last season, that line stays relatively intact. I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do at, at left guard, maybe, whether it's you know Matt Hennessy or... Um, or uh, uh, the second round rookie, Matthew Bergeron, right? Out of Syracuse. So both of those guys, I think, have a chance to maybe upgrade what was prob- maybe their weakest link at, in the O-line last se- last season, in my opinion. But anyways, it, it's a combination, right, of the elite run black run blocking line combined with elite talent of, of Bijan Robinson, the projected volume of carries. Like you said, I do think he has that opportunity to get that Derrick Henry-like deployment um, in Atlanta, I know Tyler Algier was great last year, but we do see in the NFL, if you wa- look across the league, a lot of these day three and, and undrafted guys do get replaced fairly quickly, no matter how they perform. So I don't think it's a it's going to be a significant split by any means um, because of what we've seen with Arthur Smith in the past. And then you add in the potential for a receiving game um, touches there for for Bijan Robinson as well. I, I just love the, the the opportunity here. So I'm all in on the hype for sure. Okay. Yeah, I've been kind of pushing back a little bit on the Bijan getting the Derrick Henry role just because while that was something that Arthur Smith did in Tennessee, obviously, um, he hasn't really done that in Atlanta. So I think this year is going to be a good litmus test to see if this offense starts moving in a direction. And I think they will eventually get there. I just don't know if they're going to completely abandon Tyler Algier yet in the running game. So I think, you know, as you laid out, whoever's going to line up in the backfield is going to be very productive for the Atlanta Falcons. And what I'm very curious to see with Bijan is if he's not getting the lion's share of the carries, like he's being projected in a lot of ways, can he make up for that in the passing game? Cause the Falcons have been talking a big game about, you know, he's an offensive weapon and not just a running back. So when you put him in the, in the tier with Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, I, it, it gets me excited to see if the Falcons can unlock that level of passing uh, effectiveness in in the receiving game from a player like B. John Robinson. Yeah, definitely. I I know it wasn't like a huge part of his game in college, right? But he still posted very strong numbers, strong yards per route run mark um, on 60 targets over the last two seasons. Uh, So he ranked like fourth in this running back class um, in yards per route run. Um, And even though the Falcons, you know, they – they weren't as run heavy with Desmond Ritter, Ritter under center last year. Um, he, Ritter himself was actually one of the um, the top quarterbacks in the league last season in targeting the running back position at 23.5% of his, his dropbacks in 2022. So small sample size for sure. But, you know, if Bijan is going to get those snaps, then there's an opportunity there just based on Ritter's tendencies in that small sample size to potentially get him the ball a little more and yeah we've seen the 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 camp videos already of him um lighting up troy anderson and and those guys in in one-on-ones as well so um they're 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 interested in it at least yeah absolutely so let's continue the conversation talking a little bit more about some of the other skill position players for the atlanta falcons starting with kyle pitts right there's a lot of hype 
on Bijan Robinson going into the season. There was a lot of hype this past year with Kyle Pitts going into the season. Didn't quite live up to that. He still ranks pretty high in your tight end rankings. T- tight end six, tier two of the tight end rankings. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is on a tier all by himself. But pretty much anytime any other of the top tight ends that you think about in terms of production, like the Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, those types of guys, Kyle Pitts is lumped in to that tier. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, do you expect Kyle Pitts to be poised for a rebound year after a disappointing fantasy season a year ago? Yeah, I do. I, I have him as like a bounce back candidate for this year. And, and you're right. He's one that the fantasy community particularly has been very divisive um, of when it comes to him. Um, there's a group that has, you know, kind of dug into the film and the data that comes away feeling very confident and bullish on his ability to be a high end fantasy ass fantasy asset, which I think I fall into that group as well. And then there's obviously the group that sees him as this kind of highly touted generational tight end prospect who didn't score the touchdowns that they wanted to him in year one, ignoring the 1,000 yards that he posted. And then they let him down uh, in year two because he he averaged like eight under eight PPR points per game um, and only appeared in 10 games because of the injury. So I, I understand the frustration, but again, you know, it's, you can't ignore a thousand receiving yards as a rookie, only the second tight end to ever hit that mark. Um, and the first since like 1961 of Mike, D- Mike Ditka, um, obviously expectations were going to be high last year. And, and to be fair, to Pitts, you know, his offensive snap share didn't really change that much. It still stayed around 73%. Um, and his target rate of 26.5% on those snaps was among the very best in the league at his position. So he, he was doing everything he could with what he was given, at least to, to earn targets. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, he and Mariota just didn't mesh because Pitts did rank dead last among tight ends who saw at least 25 targets in passes deemed catchable by PFF at just 58.9% when the average for the position was uh, over 80% in 2022. So a massive blow to his potential production there. The talent, I think, is definitely evident. We know it typically takes tight ends longer to acclimate to the NFL, but still just 22 years old. So plenty of room to, to get even better from what we've already seen still an elite target earner and really acts more like a wide receiver than a typical tight end. So that just kind of adds to his potential for high end uh, receiving production. I, I just think the big question is maybe going to be more on how Desmond Ritter performs to allow Pitts to perform up to standard, but I'm still very bullish on, on Pitts for fantasy this year. Yeah. That's been something I've, I've commented on this summer, which is, you know, the point of, Like watching the film, I have little to no concerns about Kyle Pitts and his value on the football field um, in terms of helping the Falcons win games. But when it comes to the the fantasy stuff in terms of helping you win your fantasy games, you know, that's where I think the areas of concern are. And I think you pointed out that it's really going to depend heavily on that rapport that he builds with Desmond Ritter. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at the rapport that Desmond Ritter kind of built successfully with Drake London last year at the end of the season, and when we talk about Drake London's ranking, he was the 16th ranked wide receiver in the tier three group, which is labeled as the consistent wide receiver twos with wide receiver one upside. And as I said, we saw that rapport with London and Ritter in those four starts. And I'm, I'm wondering sort of in terms of optimism, you know, maybe there's some concerns surrounding Kyle Pitts and Desmond Ritter, but it, it does feel like based off of the limited sample size we saw last year, there is room for a lot more optimism with Ritter and, and what Drake London can do this year and imagining sort of white what, what we saw in those four games. If we could get, you know, an entire season of that, 
could is there a realm of possibility where where Drake London is like a top 10 type of wide receiver this year in firmly in that wide receiver one sort of status? I think he could definitely push for it. I, I mean, what we saw from him last year was was really impressive amongst a group of wide receivers from from that rookie draft class that ended up being a very good group. Um, you know, he was one of three different wide receivers as a rookie to post an 80.0 receiving grade or higher um, in their first year. And that that hasn't been done for three wide receivers since PFF started grading in 2006. And the the reason that I mentioned that and the reason that I think it's, it's um, important is because there is a track record of success for rookies who hit that mark in year one of their careers. Um, so if you look back to 2015, um, not including last year, obviously, but there have been nine rookie wide receivers that earned an 80.0 receiving grade in their first season. And of those nine, seven of them went on to improve their fantasy production per game in year two and that increase was a significant one as well with it with the average increase in points per game for those seven players being about 3.3 points per game um, which puts them on a track for about 15 points per game in year two which which does equate to that high-end wide receiver two production potentially pushing for wide receiver one production as well so he obviously didn't reach that range last year um, for the entire season but yeah, like like you said, the rapport with Ritter was what was really encouraging, right? And that that that's kind of my favorite piece of like Drake London propaganda is kind of showing the splits between uh, what, him at with the uh, Marcus Mariota at quarterback versus uh, Desmond Ritter at quarterback. So I'll, I'll just quickly go through it, and I apologize for dropping numbers here, but <laughs> if you look at um, weeks one to thirteen with Mariota, he was averaging just nine point six PPR points per game, just six point one targets per game, only a 65.8% catchable target rate and just 1.72 yards per route run. Then you look at weeks 15 to 18 with Desmond Ritter, he was up to 14.6 PPR points per game. So nearly a, a five point per game increase, 8.8 targets per game, a 74.3% catchable target rate. So nearly a 10% bump there and then 3.03 yards per route run. So Obviously, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson weren't part of the offense for those weeks, and it's it's a fairly small sample size again, but just still a night and day difference there for for London and Ritter than what we were seeing earlier in the season. Yes, yes, definitely. So, uh, unfortunately, Desmond Ritter probably doesn't rank highly enough in terms of what the expectations are for this Falcons offense, given how much they're going to focus on their run game to, for me to really ask you a question, like where should people draft Desmond Ritter? I think it's pretty safe to say that if you're going to get Desmond Ritter, he's going to be more of a, if he starts the season better than he's projected to, he can be like a waiver wire sort of pickup mid season. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the quarterbacks that are ranked out of my top 24. So assuming most teams in a 12 team league are going to draft two quarterbacks each, everybody else is kind of clumped together after that. And in that, depending on how they start the season and how they look, we probably prioritize them on the waiver wire. And it's just hard to know with Ritter. It's just such a small sample size in the NFL um, for a guy who, you know, even though he was a four-year starter at, at University of Cincinnati and he did get better um, and culminating in that that final year, uh, it's just it's not enough of a sample size to kind of be able to tell exactly what we're going to get this year. But for, for for the most part, you know, if you look just even on that small sample size, he did improve game by game, at least as far as passing grade goes. Um, 
The first game was rough. He had the two turnover-worthy plays that we charted, but since then didn't throw anything um, that was deemed a turnover-worthy play and, and did improve his passing grade every game as well. So there's, I think, reasonable hope that Ritter could be a nice upgrade over, over last year's situation. Now, is there any other sort of skill position players for the Falcons offense, whether that's Tyler Algier or Mac Hollins or Scotty Miller or John o. Smith, that people should maybe keep on their fantasy radars, either as that sort of waiver wire pickup or maybe someone that they could stash in the late rounds of their drafts? Yeah, I think Algier is, is the one, right? Just in case, like you said, if that if that usage doesn't work out for Bijan, if it's not that full workhorse role, um, or if something happens to him, we've seen Tyler Algier be an effective fantasy back, be an effective NFL running back, and, and obviously for all the reasons that we like Bijan, uh, Bijan's situation, Atlanta, the, the offensive line and the run tendencies, Algier can be a, a very strong asset as well. So I think he's somebody that I you, you'd probably want to get near the end of drafts and, and avoid having to race to the waiver wire to pick him up just because um, his potential, if something were to happen to Bijan, um, would be would make him one of the top priorities for for the entire year, really. I, I believe the fantasy term is, is a handcuff. Is, is that yes? Is yeah. that fair? Okay. All right. Yeah. I just want to get my technical terms right, but uh, um, yeah, we'll we'll continue this conversation talking about something that doesn't get enough attention in fantasy football circles, which is individual defensive players, and we'll talk about where some Falcon players sort of fit in that sort of paradigm because that is a I won't say it's a new concept because I. I know it exists, but it's not something that I've spent really any time in my fantasy playing history thinking about. And we'll touch upon that to wrap up uh, with John Macri of PFF on today's episode. So continuing our conversation here with John Macri of PFF, you know, as I said earlier, I've never played in an IDP league in the 15 plus years that I play fantasy football. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking at your, your tier rankings and whatnot. And it's, it's very fascinating to me because it's a part of my brain that I've never had to use. And when I'm looking at where certain Falcon players are ranking, it's it's fascinating to me to see sort of like relatively speaking, like Troy Anderson, the Falcons linebacker and Richie Grant, the Falcon safety are ranking higher than I think probably the players that you would assume when you think of who are the best defensive players on the Falcons defense, like Grady Jarrett and AJ Terrell and Jesse Bates. Like those are the players that you would assume would be the the fantasy guys, but I'm just curious, is is the fact that the Falcons maybe have some of their, I don't know if you would call them second tier players in terms of like profile, you know, nationally or whatever, uh, being more highly ranked in these IDP rankings. Is that a specific issue to the Falcons or is that pretty common when it comes to IDP leagues where maybe some of the lesser known players can, you know, shine a little bit brighter? Yeah, so it, it really kind of depends on the on the defensive position, and and I love defensive football. That's why I love IDP and and I have so much of this IDP content. But yeah, you know, if you're looking at linebacker, for example, so Troy Troy Anderson, um, potentially Caden Ellis, uh, whoever emerges there um, as, as their starters, you you're looking at the opportunity, and I think opportunity for linebackers specifically is the biggest indicator for how these guys are going to perform for fantasy because linebackers being on the field they're going to they're going to rack up tackles and those equal fantasy points right but if you're looking at defensive line for example it probably requires a lot more um skill 
and talent than than just opportunity. Opportunity is definitely a big part of it, but you need guys that are consistently good at winning their reps on the defensive line because they're going head to head with other like offensive linemen and stuff, right? So that plays a part in some of the defensive line rankings corner AJ Terrell love him as a as an NFL corner but it actually kind of could hurt him as as an IDP corner right because he's not necessarily going to get um maybe the targets or the looks at, at a high rate as some of these other corners who maybe aren't as good in coverage right so it keeps him away from things like tackles and pass deflections that all add up to, to IDP points as well and then um you know for safeties Jesse Bates versus Richie Grant obviously we know Jesse Bates one of the best safeties in the NFL Richie Grant is a very good safety, but he, he maybe doesn't have the profile of Jesse Bates. But for IDP purposes, what we want are safeties that play closer to the line of scrimmage, the guys that rotate rotate down more often and get those tackle opportunities, which is what we found creates a, a higher um, efficiency of tackles than versus the guys that play deep, which is something that Jesse Bates does. He plays deep. Richie Grant has, or at least we'll see what happens this year, but last year, was the guy to rotate down um, and and get a little bit more of the tackle opportunities there. So that that's a, a very kind of long winded way of of going over each position quickly, if that makes sense. But um, that that's kind of what we're looking at. So a lot of the rankings um, take that into account, and then I I add in stuff like um, how potential defensive schemes create tackle efficiency and and things like that as well. So uh, there, there yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So it it's definitely not your typical. Um, NFL rankings for these positions, but it is, um, I found a pretty successful way to, to rank them for fantasy. Okay. Well, maybe I'll try my hand at IDP. Yeah. Let's fresh off of these, these rankings this year, you know, to, trying to turn a new leaf, but John, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insight into the various Falcon players, as well as schooling me on how IDP works. <laughs> Um, and, and probably schooling a lot of the listeners, uh, let them know sort of where they can find more of your stuff and what you have coming down the pipe over at PFF in the coming days and weeks. Yeah. So they, I, the first off, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate uh, being able to come on here and, and talk Falcons and fantasy football, but um, you could find me on PFF.com. That's where all my articles, written content goes up. Um, ton of fantasy content coming up here in August um, from rankings to player specific articles, breakouts and um, league winners, all things like that. So definitely check those out. If you're into fantasy, um, you could also find me on the PFF fantasy F- podcast with Nathan Yonke. We do that uh, twice a week and we'll probably ramp that up a little bit more as we get closer to the regular season as well. Um, and then I'm on the Twitter at PFF underscore Macri as well. If anybody has questions. Absolutely. Well, John, I appreciate you coming on and looking forward to seeing, you know, sort of uh, which Falcon players live up to the hype and, and which guys, you know, undeniably disappoint and, and you know, get the wrath of fantasy uh, owners, you know, for the next calendar year. And we have to come back next year and talk about is this going to be a rebound year for that type of player? So uh, I always look forward to the always compelling discourse surrounding the Atlanta Falcons and fantasy football. Nice. So, guys, we are done on today's Locked on Falcons. Thanks to John Macri for coming on and, and giving us, you know, one extra show this week uh, than we usually do. We'll be back on Sunday, hopefully with an update on Jeff Akuda with a positive or I guess negative. I don't know how, how the medical results. We'll get some good news on the results of Jeff Akuda's MRI. Um, so I guess they're negative, right? You know, you know how that works. 
you guys get what I'm trying to say. So hopefully we'll also this week as well, you know, the Falcons will be traveling to Miami. So we'll get some updates on Calais Campbell's injury status, John Smith's injury status. So, um, you know, that's always a thing that we got to keep our eye on. You know, as I say, you know, the only time we care about practices, if players are healthy, right. But we'll, we'll see how that all plays out again. Appreciate you guys for tuning in on this illustrious Friday or Saturday, whenever you're checking out this show. And uh, we'll be back with more content. Continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen. Uh, for your second listen, check out Locked On NFL to get the recap on, you know, the Hall of Fame game, Locked On Packer. I mean, why do I keep saying Packers? Because the stinking Aaron Rodgers, like I, in my brain, he will always be a Packer. Green Packer, Locked On Jets, Locked On Browns, as well as Locked On Sports Atlanta, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.